Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. How many of you guys weren't here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, just a few of you. Last week, we started a new series titled, How's Your Love Life? And we're going to continue it today. It's based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And for those that were here last week, you heard me say that this is not a series on how to find the guy in 10 days. It's not a series on dating. But I did say that if you put these principles to use, God-given principles, it could definitely help you find the right one. So we didn't want to limit this series just on romantic love. Today we're going to take a little bit of time to explain a little bit about the different kinds of love. The Greek language, it's such a rich language. When you transfer a lot of words from the Greek into the Spanish, let's say for every four Greek words, there's one Spanish word. Every single Greek word that has to do with love gets translated in Spanish or in English into the word love, amor. But there's four different kinds of love. You see, when you read your Bible, if you read it in English, all you see is love, love, and the same word over and over. But there's four different kinds of love, and, you know, it's different connotations, and it can mean a whole different thing. So today we're going to see what are the different kinds of love. But before we do that, I want you to go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we've based this entire series out of, because, like we said, the world, or a lot of people, culture, society, tries to define what true love really is. But the Bible says that God is love. And if God is love, if he is the epitome of love, he should know what love is. He's the inventor. He is love. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is good enough. And I challenged you guys last week that throughout this series, I'd be able to compare all the concepts that you've had to this point about love to God's definition of love. And maybe sometimes we got to reconcile some things because we had a different view about what love really is. So let's get started tonight. First Corinthians chapter 13. If you're there, say I'm there. We're going to start reading off verse one. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Something like this. Like. That's what your life sounds before the eyes of God. A clanging cymbal. I didn't hit it that hard because I didn't want to break my finger. But how many of you guys ever heard those Chinese gongs, right, that they hit with a huge mallet? It's an annoying sound. When we do all these things, when, man, you could sing, you can speak tongues of men, you could know what the language in heaven is about and understand it and speak it. But if you don't have love before the eyes of God, your life sounds a little bit like that. And then it continues to say in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, how many of you guys would like to have the gift of prophecy? That's biblical. There's a gift of prophecy that God reveals certain things that are to come through dreams, through, through many different ways. I would like to have it too. And understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. Come on, how many people would like to understand all the mysteries? When there's stuff going on, weird stuff, they call you and you're there on CNN explaining all the stuff. Wouldn't you like to be the one? All the mysteries, sorry, and all the knowledge, even though I have all the faith so that I can remove mountains like we were just singing. Any situation, I have faith, and I know it's, it's going to move in Jesus' name. But if I have all those things and not have love, I am nothing. Pretty deep. These are things that we want to be able to realize in our lives. These are things that we will want to possess. 
the gifts of the Spirit, to have all knowledge, to understand the mysteries of God. If I do all those things and I don't have love, I'm nothing. It's not worth anything. And then verse 3 says, if I give or bestow all my goods to feed the poor, or if I even give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Verse 4, this is something that we spoke about last week. Love suffers long. Everybody say love is patient. (laughs) Yeah, some of us had a problem with that. I gave you guys my list. Patience is not something that we're It's not one of our top 10 lists of things that we want to accomplish, right? God, give me patience. We say that sarcastically when somebody is testing us, right, and getting on our nerves. God, give me patience. But if you tell God, God, give me patience, he's going to put you in a situation where you're going to develop your patience. So we talked a little bit about that last week. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. We spoke about that as well. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. And today, we're going to focus on verse number five, four things specifically. But before that, like I said, I want to just be able to speak about these four different kinds of love that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about three, actually, and there's a fourth one. The first one is eros. Everybody say eros. This is romantic love. The word erotic comes from this eros, right? Because it has to do with physical attraction. This is the kind of love you find in chick flicks. Raise your hand if you love chick flicks and all the chicks said amen, right? (laughs) Romantic comedies, right? Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams in The Notebook. You see all the ladies going crazy. I got to admit, I like romantic comedies too. I have a soft spot for that. But everybody say it's based on physical attraction. Here's the problem. Because arrows is so easy fabricated, you know, you just look at a girl and she's attractive and that's it. I'm attracted to that person. It's physical attraction. Because it's so easy fabricated, someone usually ends up getting hurt. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know. Raise your hand if you've ever been dumped, heartbroken, betrayed, deceived. Okay, I don't know why you guys are so shy. Two people started off, and then by the time I finished, like 20. You can distinguish arrows from natural sexual urges and lust because arrows is more of a state of the heart. It's not lust, okay? It's physical attraction, but not lust. And God created men and women to be physically attracted to each other. How many say amen to that? I'm attracted to my wife. I think she's a hottie. She's my wife, right? I saw her, and I liked her. I remember I was coming to church, and I was praying. I was about 26 years, and all of a sudden, I saw a young lady come on a Thursday night with her mom, and she sat like two rows in front of me where I was sitting. I was sitting all alone, and I'm like, Lord, this is the day that the Lord has made. (laughs) She was very attractive. The first thing that caught my eye was her looks. I didn't know her. I didn't know her heart, but as I got to know her later on, it's a long story, but I got to know that her heart was even bigger than her good looks, and she's very good looking, so you can imagine how big of a heart that she has. But you can't tell that at first sight. There's this attraction, romantic attraction, and that's where it all starts. But I want you to get this. I want you to get this about Eros. Eros' love cannot and should not stand on its own. It's not enough to sustain a long-term relationship. You know what? The first thing you see in a person when you're trying to find, or if you're single and you're trying to date and you're trying to find the woman of your life or the man of your dreams... The first thing you're going to see is physical attraction. But you can't base your entire relationship on physical attraction 
Because you know what? There's this thing called time <laughs> that plays against us. And that everything that looks pretty right now, you know, if that's all that you're basing your relationship on, you know, people get older. Things that were nice start drooping. Guys start losing hair. Hair start growing in weird places. Bellies start getting bigger. People start getting wrinkles. So if you're basing your love in the attraction, the physical attraction, it's not going to last too long. This is a love, Eros. It has to do with physical attraction. It's important, but it cannot sustain a long-term relationship. And then there's a second type of love that the Bible talks about. Phileo, the brotherly love. The word phileo is friend in Greek. So this is the kind of love that's based on shared interest. If I have shared interest, uh, let's say Jesus likes fishing and I like fishing. Hey, you know, phileo, right? <laughs> we relate, right? I know Jesus loves burgers. Jesus is a burger fan and I love burgers too. We're there. When it comes to burgers, we're there. So it's shared interest and you feel this Phileo kind of love towards a friend. You could feel it towards a pal, a buddy, you know, somebody you hang out. Even between siblings, even between brothers and sisters. I'm about to get a first-hand experience at what sibling love is all about come next March. <laughs> I'm excited and a little bit scared, too, to see what's going to happen with Luca when he meets his sister or his brother. But from what I've seen, I've noticed that kids, they could be playing with Legos one minute and beating each other up the other minute. I see it in my nieces. I have Anya that's um, seven years old. Anya's seven and Natasha's five. You know, they can love each other. They can play. But don't mess with Natasha. Don't take her toys because she gets, I mean, it must be the Russian side of her family. You know, I have, my grandfather was Russian or from the Ukraine. So, you know, she just gets this temper and she just, she hits her sister. And phileo love is good, but while this is the kind of love our children show one another, now we will want them to grow and mature to love one another with another type of love that we're going to speak about in a little bit. Then there's a third kind of love that's called storge. And this is the family. It's a family type of love or community kind of love. This is the love that you have with your family members. How many of you guys love your family members? Oh, and what about the ones that didn't raise your hands? You're praying for them? Maybe we should pray for you? <laughs> I don't know. But we should love our family members. This is a natural, it's a carnal kind of love, but keep in mind this. It's powerful enough to be a real hindrance to your spiritual growth. Because even though it's a good love that we should have, it shouldn't oppose the last love that we're going to speak about today and where our focus is, right? And this could be something that's a hindrance to our spiritual growth, especially when family and culture are holding you down. It's a love that may sometimes pull you towards a lesser path. It's a good way of put it. And last but not least, we have agape. That's the godly love. Come on, put your hand around the person next to you and tell them that's the love that we should strive for. That's the love that makes the difference. It's hard to understand. This is the kind of love that God loved us with. That despite us being sinners and turning our backs to him, he still gave his son Jesus to come and die on the cross for us, even though we were sinners. When was the last time that for somebody that came and stole from you or stabbed you in the back, you went and did something kind to that person, right? Usually, you try to stay away from people that do you harm or that turn their backs on you and betray you. Even if you're a person that easily forgives, you forgive the person, but you don't want to set yourself up for another disappointment. You try to shy away from those kind of people. But Jesus didn't do that. 
He loved us unconditionally. You know what that means? That means that there's nothing, and this is true, this is biblical, there's nothing that you can do that can cause God to love you less. There's some people that think, oh, I messed up. I've been living my life in sin. I've been messing up a lot, and God must not love me anymore. And sometimes there's a lot of people that don't come to church because of that, because they feel, you know what, I'd rather live my life. I know I'm doing wrong, so God doesn't accept. No, no, no. You got it all wrong. There's nothing you could ever do that could cause God to love you less, because his love is agape. It's unconditional. And not only does God love us with this kind of love, when he says love other people, he challenges us. And if you would have a Greek Bible, you'll see that it doesn't use the word phileo. It doesn't use the word eros. He wants us to love people with agape love, which is unconditional love. Love people despite their imperfections. Love people despite how difficult they make themselves out to be loved, right? There's some people that are difficult to love. But so were you, and so was I. For God to love me, man, it took sacrifice because I'm imperfect. I mess up, and God still continues to shed his mercy and still continues to forgive me. So this is the kind of love that God expects us to love others with. It's an unconditional love acted upon on a regular basis with no expectation of love in return. I'm going to say it again. It's unconditional love acted upon on a regular basis. Because you could do something sacrificial for a person one day. But this is on a regular basis. This is who I am. It's my identity. I just love people. And they come and I love, and I love people unconditionally with no expectation of love in return. I give not expecting back. I give you a smile not expecting you to smile back at me. I give not expecting you to treat me the same way that I treat you. Because sometimes we have high expectations. Say, what's up with this person? I gave him a gift. Didn't give me a gift? (laughs) The hell with them. No, that's not agape. (laughs) I don't know what that is, (laughs) right? That's a convenient love. We got to make a whole different category for that. And God said, agape is like, man, I do this because I love you. And even if you don't give me anything, even if you stab me in the back, this is who I am. I'm called to love. And the Bible says that that's how people are going to know that we're true Jesus followers. Amen. I heard a story recently in the Las Vegas shooting. There was a story of a husband that fell on top of his wife's body when all of this was going on and the shots were being fired from the Mandalay Bay. The wife, just everybody got on the floor when they started hearing the shots. Her husband literally got on top of her. He put his body on top of hers to protect her from the bullets. The story told that this man ended up dying. He took like, I don't know how many bullets, but not a bullet reached his wife. That is sacrificial love. Putting your body on the line. Ladies, you don't want to have a husband that's going to take off and leave you behind. (laughs) This is agape love. Amen? This is sacrificial. That's the kind of love that Jesus loved us with. Amen? Any ladies looking for a man like that, shout and say, agape. (laughs) (laughs) The Thayer lexical describes agape this way. To take pleasure in the thing. Prize it above all other things. Be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. This is worthy to, un- I don't know why you guys look at me. You should write this down. All right. This is good. To take pleasure in the thing. One thing. This is the thing that I love. To take pleasure in the thing. Prize it above all other things. Be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. Isn't that crazy? That's how God loved us. He says, I'll do whatever it takes 
to recover these people. I created them to my image and likeness. And Satan had to come and mess up the plan. And now he brought sin into the world, but I'm going to do whatever I can to recover my own, to reconcile this relationship that I lost. Because I created them originally so I could have a relationship with them. We don't know. We can't know what it meant to God to make himself a human because we've never been in heaven. You know, I heard a lot of stories of people that they've gone to heaven, and sometimes people, they say, even if God gives them a chance to come back, once they see what's in heaven, they're not going to want to come back. Because this world is, you know, there's a lot of strife in this world. There's a lot of challenges and stuff like that. And once you get to heaven, there's no sickness. You don't have to worry about putting up the AC because you're, you know, you're freezing at night or, or bringing it down because you're too hot. Or, you don't have to worry about any of that. It's perfect. And God left that to come. He made himself man in the form of Jesus. And he walked here and was betrayed by his own, whipped, cursed, spit at. And he did it because he was carrying your sins and your burdens so that you could live in freedom and not in bondage. Isn't that amazing? I think that deserves a praise offering. Come on, put your hands together. That's the God that we're praising here today. It's a crazy love that will not let go. So let me ask you this. Which love is the one we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Which love do you think God is talking about? Phileo? Is he talking about storage J? Is he talking about eros? Is he talking about agape? When he says love one another, love does not envy. Love, it's talking about agape. Interesting that they are all incomplete. All the other three loves, they're incomplete except the perfect love, which is agape. So I want to do an activity here. I'm going to need 10 volunteers. 10 volunteers. If you can come up here and stand right here by the stairs quickly, I need 10. On your market side, go. <laughs> I would expect you guys be this slow if the Dolphins would have lost, but come on, the Dolphins pulled out a come from behind victory. Where's that energy? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. We got six. I need four more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I need one last one. Carlos, come on. I want you guys to pay attention to me, and I want the people in the public also. I have ten boxes here, right? Guys, there's 10 boxes here. Three of the boxes in here have a bell. You guys have to grab the box, and your objective is to not let anybody know that there's a bell in your box, if there is. So I'm going to make you guys do some activities, and you got to make sure that as you take a box, don't move it. You know, be cautious so that you're not called out that it has a bell, okay? Everybody grab a box. Be very careful, all right? This is what we're going to do. We have to, as an audience, spot out who has the bells inside their boxes. And also, within you guys, if you have a neighbor that you hear a bell, you have to call him out. So your job is to find the one who has the bell. And if you have the bell, you have to make sure that nobody finds it. So I want you guys to move back and forth through this whole place. Come on, move. I need you guys to move. Walk. All right. Keep walking. Turn in a circle. Come on, turn in a circle. Make sure you don't bump into anything or anyone. Anybody hear any jingling? Okay. Jump up and down. Jump up and down. Jump up and down. One arm jumping jacks. Come on, let's go. One arm jumping jacks. Let's go. 
Come on, everybody, everybody, let's go. <laughs> Did anybody hear anything? Okay, Edwin, open your box. <laughs> it came out flying. All right, anybody else hear anything else? No? Okay, we got to find the other guilty culprits. All right, let's go. Let's run. Let's run. Yeah, there's three boxes. Yeah, run through the stage. Make sure you don't bump into anybody. Maybe we should have done less boxes. <laughs> okay, who? 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 <laughs> Let me see. Open your box. Guilty. All right. Melly, come over here. All right, keep on. Keep moving. Jumping jacks, that always works. That worked for Edwin. Jumping jacks. Everybody, everybody, jump, jump. Open your box. Open your box. Oh. No. All right, keep going, keep going. Jump up and down. Let's go, guys, jump. Everybody. Everybody that's still on this side. Anybody heard anything? Maite, open your box. We found it. We found it. Come on, give it up for these amazing volunteers. I'll tell you what we just finished doing. Let me ask you guys, how were we able to identify who had the bell in their boxes? Huh? By the sound. As they were jumping, as they were doing the jumping jacks, you could hear sounds from their box, right? If it wasn't for that noise, we wouldn't be able to figure out because if, if they were cautious like they were at the beginning, they were walking, and as they were walking, they didn't make much movement, and you could cover up the sound or you could keep the bells from ringing. But once you do a lot of movement and you walk around a lot, it starts sounding. It doesn't matter how sneaky the people were with the bells. Once it made noise, the game was over. Now, this is what I want to get at. Have you ever thought what kind of noise your life makes? Because our life makes noise. Very different kinds of noises. Your life can make a joyful noise. And if you ask people around you, they'll most likely be able to tell you what kind of noise your life makes. There's people that are very joyful. There's people that are bitter. But every person, their life makes a noise. We could tell a lot about a person by the type of noise they make whether they're angry, whether they're joyful, whether they love serving. So when people listen on your life, the noise you're making should point them to who you are, a follower of Jesus. And there's one thing, there's one thing that's going to show people if we really love Jesus or not, or if we really are true followers of Jesus. And that's what? Love is what we're talking about. And not love according to the standards that society gives, but love according to the standard that God gives, which we're studying in this series. This is sacrificial love. This is not, oh, I love you because you gave me a nice gift on Christmas. Because everybody loves that kind of person. But God says, look, people are going to know you, and they're going to know that you're my disciples because of the love that they see inside of you. How many say amen? John 13, 35, if you want to go with me really quick. John 13, 35. As a matter of fact, now that we're talking about John, there's four gospels or four different accounts of the life of Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books in the New Testament. And out of all four, John is called the loving apostle. The Bible says that John would always put his head on Jesus' shoulder. He was one of the closest ones. So John had a lot of love. If you read his account of Jesus, he was a very loving apostle, right? And he said this, he wrote this, By this 
all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know how people are going to really tell that you love God and that you are a true disciple of Jesus? It's not by the faith that you have. It's not by the miracles you're going to make. Like he could have mentioned that, but he says by the love that you have. If you have love, and for who? For one another. Not if you love yourself. Not if you love God. We have to do these things, right? I need to love myself. I need to love God. But it says, if I have love for one another, if I love you, if I love you, if I love you. So Jesus, he could have said anything here, but of all things, he chose love. Loving someone's God's way speaks loudly. When you love somebody sacrificially, those kind of people are not easily found. And that's how, I think that when a church is filled of God's love, people are drawn to that. Because this society is all looking for love, one way or another. To be accepted, to be brought in, to be built up. Because, you know, life out there is hard. And sometimes there's people that didn't have the privilege of having, you know, parents that would always encourage them. We have people coming to church sometimes that have been beat down by life, by circumstances, sometimes by even the people that surround them. And then to come to church and be judged by people. And John says that this is how people are going to know that you guys are my disciples. This is how people are going to know that this is a godly church, that you guys love one another. When you love one another, you go against what most of society does. Verse number 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to finish off here real quick. Verse 5 says, love does not behave rudely. Another version says, it does not dishonor others. How many of you people hate when people are rude? You're in Starbucks and you're waiting in line. And the person in front of you treats the clerk like in a bad way and mistreats them. Or you're in a restaurant. You know, the waiter's like waiting 10 tables and she's running around. And she's got so many things on her mind. And then you have a person sitting there and being rude to the person, right? Right? It sets you off. Well, the Bible says that this godly love, this agape love, we read about four things. We studied four things last week now. The first one this week, it does not behave rudely. Tell the person next to you, true love does not behave rudely. Rude behavior can damage any kind of relationship. If you're rude to your wife every single day, you know what? No wonder she don't love you anymore. <laughs> I don't blame her. I mean, start honoring your wife and start treating her with kindness, with sacrificial love. The Bible says that men should respect and should honor and should love their wives like Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. That's the kind of love you should love your wife with. Not be rude. So rude behavior can damage any kind of relationship, not just marriage, but dating, if you're rude. If he's rude to you now while you're dating, major red flag, you know? Major red flag. And look, being rude, I'm not talking about someone that did something inadvertently and corrected it once he became aware. You know what? I'm so sorry. I didn't even mean it. Because sometimes we can all be rude and not know it. But, you know, if you humble yourself, you understand, and it's not something that's done continuously. But I'm talking about people that sometimes they're just insensitive. They just say things, and they don't really care. They're insensitive about the feelings of those around them, and they just don't care that you feel bad or that they offend you. And interesting enough, we're studying 1 Corinthians 13. If you go to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, if you want, read it tonight. Apostle Paul, which is the author of 1 Corinthians He's writing a letter to the Corinthians, and he's telling them, because he's seeing examples of this, of being rude, 
going on in the worship assemblies, in the church. You thought this is a thing of now sometimes? You know? It was going on back then. People were being rude. Keep in mind that the church was just starting, and there was a lot of cultures coming in, and this was all the beginning. It's just like when you start a company. You have to set rules and standards, and the explosion of the church was so fast, people being converted, that they couldn't keep up with, you know, how you should handle things. And, and he's writing to correct a lot of things that are going on in the church. And he says, look, we can't be rude to each other. Amen? Rude behavior gets into our relationships unintentionally. It's not something that you plan. I'm not, sometimes it doesn't happen this way that you're like, I'm, I'm going to be rude to this person. It just happens. They tick you off and you're just rude. It happens when you're too distracted by yourself to notice how you might affect others. You're too busy on how you feel that you don't think about how the other person feels. I want you guys here to finish this sentence yourself. Love does not behave rudely with, and you fill in the blank, you put the person. Because one thing is, oh God, I know that true love should not behave rudely, but when it's personal, and think about a person that you don't like too much, or that gets on your nerves often. Fill the blank with that person. Love does not behave rudely with. <clears throat> Add the name of the person. It could be a spouse, a friend, or someone else. So everybody say, true love does not behave rudely. Everybody now say, true love does not seek its own. If it's true love, I'm not in it to see what I could get. I'm in it to give because that's true love. True love gives. Everybody say, true love gives. As you guys know, the Bible calls us to serve one another. It also says that we should bear each other's burdens. Somebody's going through something. You know what? We laugh with those that laugh, but we cry with those that cry as well. It's biblical. You know, we encourage them and everything, but there's a time of mourning too. And, and sometimes there's no words that you could tell somebody that just lost a loved one. You know, you could just encourage them and you say, you know, they're in a better place and whatnot, but it's normal to mourn. Jesus, he knew that Lazarus was going to resurrect and still he shed a tear. This is my best friend. He's dead. And all these people are crying and he was moved by the moment. So you could have all the faith in the world and still say, hey, you know what? It's normal to mourn. But true love does not seek its own. We need to come to accept the times of personal unhappiness are sometimes necessary. Sometimes we think that because we know God and we come to church, that we never have to live moments of personal unhappiness. And that's so not true. There's moments where you're going to have to sacrifice for a person and get out of your way and do something that you really wanted to do for the sake of another, because that's what true love did. You think Jesus was all happy about going to the cross to die for you? He loved you, but he, trust me, he would have wanted to avoid that. He wasn't ecstatic about it. But he went through with it. He said, I have to do this because this is, this is what I'm called to do. This is my mission here on earth. And our mission here on earth is to live our life sacrificially, to reach other people that are hurting for Jesus. And sometimes that's uncomfortable for you. Oh, not so many amens now. Because we love to be in comfort. But you have to understand and accept that times of personal unhappiness are sometimes necessary. A commitment to love involves a commitment to sacrifice. You can't love if there's no sacrifice. It's easy to love when it's convenient. Oh, I love you because, you know, you have money and stuff like that. And how many times have we heard that everything was good, I had friends, and then when I went broke, 
and I lost my job, and I'm not as successful as I was. All my friends left, and I was left alone. Because people love to hang around people that are successful. But people that truly love are going to be there in the good and in the bad. How many can give God thanks for the good friends that we have in our lives that stick with us and are there in the good and in the bad? Amen? So sometimes you got to forego watching a game and let her watch some HGTV. <laughs> some people don't know what I'm talking about, but it's all right. You're not there yet. Sometimes you need to forego having fun with your friends and going out to build up and help someone with a mess full of problems in their life. I would love to just hang out and go eat a burger with Jesus, but I got this person that his wife is about to divorce him. And what I'm going to do, What I because true love is really to sacrifice, so what do I do? And God's calling us to be a generation of people that sacrifice. Husbands that sacrifice for their wives. Friends that sacrifice for their friends. The church that sacrifices their time and their well-being in favor of those that don't know Jesus. After a bad night, you have to forego sitting down to rest a bit to take your son to the park. Can you tell I wrote that one myself? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I had a bad night, and then I come home from work, and I have to go to church in an hour, and I have to get dressed, and, and Luca's there, and he's been at home with mom, and he's happy to be with dad, and he says, I want to go out. What do I do, Lord? <laughs> Give me strength. But you know, sometimes if you love, you're going to sacrifice, and you're going to go to the park. Pray when you don't want to. Sacrificial love. Serve when you don't feel like it. Do the right thing, even if it means that you're going to get in trouble. Say the right thing. Real love does not seek its own. Look what Thomas Merton wrote. He said, the beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. Is that good or what? I've seen so many couples that they're like, they love her because she's outgoing. He's a stiff. He doesn't say, he doesn't even smile. And they compliment each other. You know, he's serious and she's like outgoing. But then they get married and he tries to make her like her. I mean, you fell in love with her personality. Why would you want to change her? Let her be her. You want to cage her in because of jealousy and so many things. And, and I love what he says. You know, true love is sacrificial. It's like, it's loving the person despite their mistakes. And last but not least, love, true love is not easily provoked. Everybody say, it's not easily provoked. Let me ask you, what irritates you? I'll give you my list. I sat down and thought about this. You know what irritates me? People tailgating me. It irritates me. It irritates me. People getting really close to me, I'll hit on my brakes really softly so they could see that I don't like it. It irritates me. Pray for me. I mean, what can I tell you guys? <laughs> I'm just being honest. You still love me with agape love? Yeah. With my imperfections? You know what irritates me too? Calls from telemarketers. And I have one that calls me every day trying to sell me a security system for my house that I don't care about. I already have an alarm. I don't need it. I even told them, please, don't call me. But they call me and they call, it irritates me. Running out of toilet paper with no one else in the house. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Anybody? Am I the only one? It irritates me. Gotta get up. 
I get messy. <laughs> Asking someone to do something and they forget. Anybody? <sighs> time and time again, it irritates them. But true love, if you have agape love, it guards against being irritated. It guards against being irritated. You cut me off. I don't have to tell you you're number one with the wrong finger. I could just, you know what? Must be having a hard day. Just love. Love guards against being irritated. I'm the first one. I need this. I need this. I need God to give me some more agape. But I think we all do. And it's important that we all have an open heart. True love guards against being upset and angered by things that are said or done. When you don't have agape love, any little thing of a person ticks you off. This person told me this. Can you believe it? And drama starts. I mean, just whatever. The person probably had a tough day. I love to believe the best from people. You know, when I don't know why a person did something, you know, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they're just going through a situation. And you know what? I give them the benefit of the doubt. It guards against being upset and angered by things that are said or done. The real issue in this that we're talking about being irritated is being provoked has to do with rights. Everybody say rights. You know, we think we have many rights that we really don't have. And when somebody violates your rights... That's when you feel that you have the right to become irritated. I have my rights, and this is what we say. I have my rights. I have my time. I have my property, my way, my schedule, my, 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 and I don't want anything interfering with my rights. And the minute they do, all hell breaks loose. Hmm? <laughs> Let's say you have a right to a good night's sleep. You say, man, I've been working so hard. I've been doing so many things. I just want to go to sleep right now. And a family member wakes you up at 1 in the morning. You feel provoked. You feel annoyed. And you're like, this person violated my right. I am very tired. I didn't sleep the night before. I've been violated. Because you were claiming a right that you really didn't have. Because we were called to serve. If somebody has an emergency, you know what? Forget about your good night's sleep. Help them. If your person from your HOB calls you with a situation... Get up. Forget about your rights, because if you're always worried about your rights, first, isn't that selfishness to begin with? Yeah. Your right, your right. John MacArthur said this. I'm finishing up. If you get angry, upset, and irritated, and then blame it on your circumstance, you're deceiving yourself. You say, I'm so angry because, or I just got provoked because... Or if this person hadn't been this way, if my child hadn't filled the dryer with water or written with butter on the living room furniture or whatever, I wouldn't be so irritated. But MacArthur adds, the problem is in your circumstances. The problem is the preoccupation of your mind that you're important, that your rights matter and that your territory is invincible. Tell me that's not good. When somebody steps into your territory or violates your rights, they trigger that anger because you've already predetermined that you have those rights when you, in reality you don't. You see, 1 Peter 4.8, this will help a lot of you guys. Love overlooks a multitude of sins. Guess what kind of love it's talking about there. Mm -hmm. Not filio, not your buddy until you see I wouldn't want to be you. Agape love, real love, true love, God's love overlooks a multitude of sins. How many sins 
does it take for you to stop overlooking them and stop loving a person? First one? Second one? Peter's like, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive this person? Seven? I'm by six. Please tell me one more so I can just get out of this and send them to hell. And Jesus says, not seven times. Seventy times seven until you can't count no more. He was probably doing the math. 490. Don't even count until you can't. Every single time somebody offends you, you have to forgive. True love overlooks. Now, you're not going to set yourself in a place where people are going to use you as a punching bag. Because that's just plain stupid. And we're not stupid. We're believers, but we're not dumb. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where people are going to take advantage. Oh, yeah, steal from me every single day, of course. Here have my passwords to my accounts. Right? We're not going to set ourselves up for disaster. But when people wrong you, if you have true love, you know what? Love overlooks a multitude of sins. Isn't that amazing? Worthy of underlining. And last but not least, I don't want to take a long time on this. Thinks no evil. Everybody say, true love thinks no evil. Suppose that from now on, we will think no evil out of people. When we see people, we always give them the benefit of a doubt. Could you imagine how different our lives would be? It would help us refuse the lies and gossip sometimes that we hear from one another. Some people, they love to thrive on conversational garbage. They have an appetite for scandals. Some people are just very dramatic, and they just love creating these things. You know, there's a story, and I close with this. I promise. Boom. There's a story of King David. I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 10. And King David, one of his royal neighbors, the king of the Ammonites, died. And because this guy was kind to King David, King David sent an arsenal of men to pay his respects. He told them, I want you to go to this guy's funeral because that king was very good to me. He was kind to me while he was in power. And there was a situation where he helped David. He sends a bunch of people of his servants to go and pay respects for this man. Now, the king had passed away. They're celebrating his funeral. But the son of this man was now the new king. And he had some advisors. And these advisors came and they say, you know what? Started gossiping. And they started saying, David is sending these people not because he wants to pay his respects. These are spies. You shall watch out because they want to take our land. So the king believed his advisors. So when all the servants of King David came to pay their respects, the king was already looking at him wrong. <laughs> Does it sound familiar? Sometimes gossip is so, so destructive. And the king ordered that all these people that came to pay their respects have their garments cut off as a sign of disrespect. They cut off their garments and they cut off half of their beards, which was very disrespectful. Well, to make the long story short, David finds out of what happened. That instigated a war. They went to war. A lot of lives were lost just because there were people that misinterpreted what David wanted to do. And sometimes that happens in our families, that we misinterpret what people's true intentions are. It happens in churches. It happens all over the place. But true love, like we said today, sees no evil. You know what? It's better to be naive. It's better that you see the good in people. How many say amen? I want you to stand on your feet today. I'm not going to be any longer.